The following program is brought to you by MedLearn Media, observing American Heart Month by inviting you to subscribe to the comprehensive cardiology all-access pass. We've been waiting for you. Come on in. It's Talk Den Tuesday with Chuck Buck and Dr. Eric Reamer for February 14, 2023. Today, we welcome the Chief Operating Officer for Tia Tech USA, Susie Bestovich. It's American Heart Month, and Susie will report on pre-authorizations for cardiology procedures. We'll hear about the social determinants of health from Tiffany Ferguson. Lori Johnson has the latest coding news. Kim Powell is at the Tuesday News Desk, and Dr. Reamer presents her talkback segment. Now here's the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, and the man who sent you a valentine today that says roses are red, violets are blue, some poems rhyme and others don't, Chuck Buck. <laughs> Thank you, Clark Anthony. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the 541st live edition Talk 10 Tuesday. Good morning, Erica. And Erica, happy Valentine's Day. I can't make it rhyme, but happy Valentine's Day. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, everyone, and happy Valentine's Day to you all, too. Thank you very much. And you heard Clark Anthony announce February is American Heart Month, and uh, how appropriate for Valentine's Day when we're talking about matters of the heart. Oh, and Chuck, it warms my heart mm. to know that today is my six-year anniversary here on Talk 10 Tuesdays. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Erica, very much. And how very sweet of you, and of course, on this auspicious day, Happy anniversary. Uh, you know, we were sending you flowers, but you don't have a dressing room because we are, of course, virtual. But nonetheless, <laughs> flowers are coming but your I way. Am <laughs> yes, okay, that's good. It won't embarrass anybody. Uh, now, Erica, I know that you're particularly pleased about the content that our folks are going to be hearing today during this edition Talk in Tuesday. So, Erica, why is that? Well, I really enjoy when my Talk 10 colleagues and I attack the same topic from different angles. Tiffany, Lori, and I are all talking about social determinants of health today. Wow, indeed. And as always, Erica, we're looking forward to your talkback segment. We have much news to report, folks, and we begin now with Tim Powell. He's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. Thanks, Chuck. And Medicare is taking on drug prices, drug price increases, we hope. The Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, has released initial guidance on the Medicare Prescription Drug Inflation Rebate Program and is seeking public comment on key topics, including how to determine the number of drug units for rebatable drugs, reducing rebate amounts for certain Part B and Part D rebatable drugs in the case of supply shortages or disruptions, and imposing civil monetary penalties on manufacturers that fail to pay rebates, ensuring accuracy of rebate payments and other related areas. And the public input will help to shape the program's final regulations and implementation. The new Medicare Prescription Drug Inflation Rebate Program will require drug companies to pay rebates to Medicare if their prescription drug prices increase faster than the rate of inflation for certain drugs dispensed to people with Medicare as part of President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has announced the next steps for implementing the program, and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services released initial guidance on the requirements of procedures for the program, which hopefully will lower the drug costs for millions of Americans. Now, the Medicare Prescription Drug Inflation Program will require drug companies to pay rebates to the Medicare Trust Fund if their brand name drug price increases faster than the rate of inflation, which may help reduce the growth of prescription drug spending. 
Brand name drugs account for 80% of all prescription drug spending, and increased spending per prescription has been a primary driver of increased prescription drug spending. By requiring rebates for price increases above the inflation for drugs already on the market, the program aids to lower the drug costs and improve the affordability for Americans with Medicare. Comments received by March 11th of 2023 will be considered for the revised guidance. CMS anticipates issuing revised guidance no later in 20 guidance later in 2023 for the Medicare prescription drug inflation rebate program. And with that, back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tim, very much. That was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert and the national correspondent for ICD-10 Monitor. It's Valentine's Day. It's Tuesday, February the 14th, and you're listening to the 541st live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by. Today's healthcare world is one of confusion, uncertainty, and noncompliance. During tight budgets, the folks at MedLearn are here to help with the MedLearn Media Resource Center. Keep your team trained and in the know with this web-based platform created to help you make an impact on your revenue without breaking the bank, so you can focus on what matters most, patient outcomes. For a single low annual subscription, all your teams will have convenient one-stop access to the complete libraries of three trusted brands, MedLearn Publishing, ICD-10 Monitor, and Rack Monitor. One low monthly cost, unlimited access, and all the CEUs you need. It's the MedLearn Media Resource Center. Increase your knowledge with workable coding solutions and actionable answers so you can put the focus back on patient care with the MedLearn Media Resource Center. Now the time for the Talk to Tuesday Coding Report with Laurie Johnson. And good morning, Laurie Johnson. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica. And happy Valentine's Day to our listeners. As Erica said, the theme today is social determinants of health, with Tiffany, Erica, and I talking about this issue. My perspective is that this topic should be addressed in your facility-specific coding guidelines so that the data is available. Many payers are utilizing data to develop policies and social programs. The buzz is that social determinants of health data is not being reported, which then impacts available social programs. The payer is developing programs based on information from the public. Hospitals are also developing social programs and need data to ensure that programs are addressing housing, transportation, and food access are filling the gaps. These activities impact the coding function. Are the coders aware which social determinants of health codes are to be assigned? Does your hospital have social programs in place? Are you supporting them with the coded data? If you are unsure if the SDOH codes are being assigned, run a frequency report. If you are not sure about the programs that your facility or payers have in place, you should talk to various departments, including your boss, case management, human resources, nursing, revenue cycle, contracting, etc. Once you understand the SDOH activities in your area, you can include them in your facility-specific coding guidelines. Some topics to consider when updating your facility guidelines include who should document social determinants of health and where to maintain the information. The 
ICD-10-CM guidelines in I.C.21.C.17, social determinants of health, address that if the patient directly provides information that it should be co-signed by the provider. These guidelines also say that clinicians other than the provider may document SDOH information. Some facilities have used a questionnaire to collect SDOH information. Conflicting information requires a clarification query. Be sure that your guidelines address which documentation may be used to determine and assign SDOH codes. If you are using documents to assign a diagnosis code, then they should be part of the patient's legal medical record. There are no limits regarding the SDOH documentation, but you want consistency regarding where the documentation is found. Correct code assignment requires a team, nursing, case management, clinical documentation integrity, social workers, utilization review nurses, providers, and coders. This team is important to determine if SDOH impacts patient care. As I said, it takes a village to collect SDOH information. Be aware that AHIMA has just released a study on SDOH data this morning, so you will see it. If you belong to AHIMA, you'll see it in your mailbox. And with that, back to you, Erica. Thanks, Lori. Yeah, Lori brought the AHIMA NORC survey to my attention, and I have not had a chance to review it either. I'll let you know if I find anything interesting in a later broadcast. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is Senior Healthcare Consultant for Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. The Social Determinants of Health, SDOH, continue to be of interest to coders. So here now with our report on the Social Determinants of Health is Tiffany Ferguson. Good morning, Tiffany. Good morning on Happy Valentine's Day. So I'm going to elaborate on Lori's topic and continue our SDOH discussion. So CMS continues to prioritize efforts around health equity with greater data reporting and recommended capture of the Z codes. I'm seeing a lot of mixed messages with overlap in the electronic medical record regarding social determinants and social drivers of health. Social determinants is our documentation to support Z codes, while social drivers includes our documentation around quality measures for CMS's value-based purchasing initiatives. Thank you, CMS, for using slightly different language on the same topic. So I urge EMR vendors and health systems to develop a collaborative and non-siloed approach to capture this information. How often do we look at the information in the EMR where details have been asked in a similar fashion and are documented in multiple locations? The goal should be to, to identify the best location of where important personal information can be found and route everything back to the source of truth in the record. For instance, a patient's address. As a case manager, I often update and find details of this information when we discuss home location with the patient during our biopsychosocial assessments. Instead of putting the details just siloed in my note, I ensure it goes back to the source of truth in the record, the patient's demographic section. When adding questions that meet the needs for quality reporting for the five domains of social drivers around transportation, utilities, personal safety, housing, and food insecurity. Let's look at what we've already, what's already in the record and what can be adjusted to easily match existing workflow. 
Then let's ensure that this information is available for all parties. For instance, if the details of a patient's living condition are impacting the care plan, that information should be accessible not only to the care team, but also the coding team to ensure that they can appropriately capture these details. Similar to Lori's recommendations, a collaborative session may be helpful between CDI, coding, nursing informatics, quality and case management to review the, the details and record regarding SDOH and where this information can be found. Coding and quality can provide input on the specifications they, they may need that would help them clearly understand the impact of the particular social determinants on the hospitalization. In most case management documentation templates, although not consistently used, there are fields listing patient limitations or barriers to discharge. It includes checkboxes and comments such as factors as language barriers, limited social support, and financial stressors. This information can help guide the coding team and if any questions arise, similar to conversations we would have with utilization review or the attending physician, it's perfectly okay to secure chat or query the case manager for clarification to ensure we can capture these details. Back to you, Erica. Thanks, Tiffany. That was Tiffany Ferguson. Tiffany is the CEO for Phoenix Medical Management. Chuck? Thank you both, and we're going to have the results of today's Talk 10 Tuesday listener survey later in this broadcast, but first, this very important message. What do you do when CMS unloads barrels and barrels of new codes into your lap like fallen leaves? How do you stay on top of your game as a coding genius? You subscribe to the ICD-10 Monitor Coding Portal. For an unbelievably low subscription of $35, you have access to the superstars of coding, Glorianne Bryant, Dr. Eric Reamer, Terry Fletcher, and Lori Johnson. You'll also have access to more than 40 educational webcasts. Plus, you'll learn CEUs to maintain your credentials. The retail value? More than $5,960. But for a limited time, your subscription is only $35 per webcast a savings of 75%. Do what the smart folks at Duke University did. They subscribed, and so should you. Subscribe today to the ICD-10 Monitor Coding Portal. Now let's take a look at the results of today's Talk 10 Tuesday listener survey. Once again, here is Tiffany Ferguson. For our survey, what we listed is, are you reviewing case management documentation to capture Z codes related to SDOH? And what we found from our listeners is actually the majority was kind of does not apply. But for those that did reply um, and it did apply to them, the majority actually said yes. So about maybe we're a little split. 28 percent, it keeps moving, is said yes. And about 20 percent said no. So it, it may be a good opportunity to be able to look and reach out to your case managers to see where they're capturing that and how you can apply that to your Z code capture. We continue our recognition of February being American Heart Health Month. And so joining us now is the Chief Operating Officer for Tia Tech USA, Susie Vestovich. Susie's going to report on the importance of pre-authorizations for cardiology procedures. Our lead story is sponsored by Hitex, a clinical informatics organization dedicated to bringing the most advanced technology and people to assist healthcare professionals at the point of care. Find them at Hitex.com. Here now is Susie Vestovich. 
Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, everyone. Anybody here old enough to remember Fred Sanford on the show, Sanford and Son, stumbling backwards, gripping his chest, calling out to his deceased wife, this is the big one, Elizabeth, I'm coming, meaning he's having a heart attack. Well, American Heart Month is Fred's month. Unlike the sitcom, it's not funny, as heart disease is the number one cause of death in the U.S., and patients like Fred are coming into cardiology practices in droves. Getting immediate care is critical to a patient's survival rate. Getting paid for providing care is critical to the survival of the practice. And getting preauthorization is critical to getting reimbursement. Unfortunately, the preauthorization process is not always straightforward. Clinical staff get passed around to multiple departments within an insurance company, all different depending on the plan and on the test requested, along with submitting tedious documentation. So much so that the American Medical Association officially recognized that the pre-authorization red tape is the number one administrative burden on providers. But to the rescue, the American College of Cardiology is working to fix that through legislation. Cardiology, along with other medical organizations, hammered Congress to pass the Improving Seniors Timely Access to Care Act, make it easier for senior patients to get care by easing up the preauthorization process. The House passed the legislation in, in September and it's now pending in the Senate. Joining in the fight, CMS released a proposed rule in December aimed at simplifying preauthorizations in Medicare. Until the politics are sorted out, preauthorization roadblocks will continue to bog down practices. So to help move along the process, here's a few tips. Often patient eligibility comes down to a simple choice in coding. Therefore, it's critical to be precise with the ICD diagnosis code. Every cardiology condition has multiple sub-choices for a diagnosis code, so it's especially important to choose the correct code that is specific to a particular diagnosis. It is equally important to ensure that you are submitting an ICD diagnosis code, not a CPT symptom code. In addition to selecting the correct codes, insurance requires that the codes be substantiated by physician notes. Thorough documentation on the front end can reduce reimbursement delays, can be used for appealing denials, and can also improve outcomes in post-payment or RAC audits. Setting up a process in the clinic to streamline preauthorization often requires additional dedicated staff. With staff reductions, this may be difficult. Even worse, simple human error, even with dedicated trained staff, is often the biggest hurdle. Due to the number of required steps, each introducing the potential for delays in human errors, you could be delayed for weeks. No two payers are the same, adding further complexities. Faced with red tape, complexity, and delays, this is where technology steps in. There are systems available that are designed to assist in optimizing coding and automating both eligibility and the more tedious pre-authorization process. They know the pain points and try to ease the burden 
the administrative burden on providers. With this, staff productivity increases, denials are cut in half, billers receive clean claims to process, and patient care is enhanced. The ROI is easy to see, especially since it is estimated that electronic preauthorizations can cost 85% less for the task. Today's technology frees up clinic staff to focus on people like Fred, on patient care. Do your homework and find a technology that's best for your clinic. And that's how it goes. Tossing it over to you, Erica. Thanks, Susie. That was the Chief Operating Officer for Tia Tech USA, Susie Vestovich. Now's the time for our very popular segment here at Talk to Tuesday. It's called Talk Back, and it features our own Dr. Erica Reamer. Good morning, Dr. Reamer. It's all yours. Thanks, Chuck. So one night while I was still practicing emergency medicine, I drove a patient home. Z59.6, low income. And rather than having the department pony up a taxi voucher, I just bundled them up into my car at the end of shift and dropped them off at their domicile. I saw a need and addressed it. Social determinants of health are very important to attend to because they have profound economic, social, and health implications. It may be financially advantageous for an institution to dispense medication rather than have a patient readmitted septic because they didn't fill their antibiotics. Arranging for transportation so a patient can get to dialysis may save an emergency department visit for fluid overload and hyperkalemia. The data on prevalence are not readily available because SDOH are not being documented and coded reliably yet. There is a strong push to remedy this situation, however, as you have heard already today. One of the solutions has been to allow coding professionals to pull the codes from documentation from individuals other than the healthcare provider caring for the patient. The 2023 ICD-10-CM official guidelines for coding and reporting have been updated to reflect the SDOH initiative. I'd like to clear up a few concerns that listeners have posed. First, the SDOH issue must be clinically significant and relevant to the current encounter. I would posit that being destitute or homeless is always relevant. But the example that is frequently offered is Z60.2, problems related to living alone. A person who lives alone may be perfectly content and chose that lifestyle. They do not have a problem with living alone. However, an elderly, recently widowed person who has moderate dimension cannot satisfactorily attend to their activities of daily living, or someone who is unable to change a dressing on their back by themselves, does have a problem, and Z60.2 would be applicable. From whose documentation can SDOH be derived? If a patient fills out a form and a provider or another clinician reviews and signs off on it, it is then eligible to be entered into the medical record, and those Z codes are fair game. Clinicians are defined in the guidelines as healthcare professionals who, by regulatory or accreditation requirements or internal hospital policies, are permitted to document in the patient's official medical record. I'm not going to tackle, quote, official medical record, close quote here, so let's, let's leave these cl- as clinicians like social workers, caseworkers, and nurse, nurses for the time being. These individuals pick up SDOH in their notes from information provided by the patient or surrogate. How should the SDOH be explored? 
If the clinicians we already mentioned interview the patient and or caregiver and elicit evidence of issues, if all they do is document them in the legal record, is that adequate? The best case scenario would be to take action on the information. Ticking a box that a patient is unsheltered homeless might establish Z59.02, but wouldn't it be preferable for the social worker to contact a shelter and arrange for housing? Similarly, if the emergency physician uncovers a potential health hazard, it would be optimal for them to bring it to someone's attention who can find a solution for the patient's plight, as opposed to just documenting in their notes as a limiting factor, thereby achieving moderate risk of complications and or morbidity or mortality of patient management. I don't, however, expect everyone to drive patients home at the end of shift. SDOH documentation is at least dual-purposed. One goal is to collect epidemiological data and to determine prevalence. The data may support comorbid condition or complication status for certain SDOH, which are assessed to increase resource consumption. The other, and probably most important objective, is to improve health and reduce disparities in healthcare for vulnerable populations. We won't be able to achieve this unless we all start to confront SDOH head on. If you want your providers to learn more about SDOH, you can have them check out my documentation modules for providers with CME. See my article for a link. Now let's take a look at some of the questions and comments that have been coming in to us since we've been on the air. Erica? All right, uh, Tiffany, get ready. Um, Ron asks, there are a limited number of codes allowed in a claim. How do you prioritize so as to not affect risk scoring for other measures by omitting a code that goes into the other scoring systems? I guess he means like if you prioritize the SDOH and it kicks something else out. I think it's a tricky question because we're really only allowed, and Erica and Lori, you can collect, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe up to 12 codes. So I think at that point, you really have to make a decision. Is the opportunity for capturing that clinical picture, is it more about revenue against that opportunity of what could we be adding against what we're dealing with, which is the resource consumption of what's impacting? And so there's a balance there when you're evaluating the list of what's happening in that clinical picture to say, did homelessness, for example, um, impact the resource consumption and the treatment of this patient towards their discharge? And that's where we're really struggling. You know, Tiffany, I I was thinking that I I was, um, I think that they have expanded it, that the, in acute care, they now allow them to do 25 codes, but even 25 codes, if a patient is in the the, uh, um, hospital for a prolonged period of time, that could still, you know, eat up a lot of codes. So I do think that we need to, um, we're going to need to sort of get this sorted out because we don't want to fall out of one measure by making sure that we're addressing another measure. But, I mean, I think that that's kind of the the calculus we do all the time. Um, I had a question for you, Tiffany. What do we do? You know, it seems like SDOH can be somewhat dynamic. So somebody may, you know, be out of work right now, but, you know, when they come back to the emergency department six months from now, they may actually have gotten a job or they may no longer be homeless. So how do we, um, how do you envision that the, um, that the hospital information is kept current to make sure that um, the current SDOH um, information is, is, is accurate, 
but also it seems like we might want to have some mechanism to archive these things because if somebody was previously homeless but they're not currently, they might still be at risk. How would you, what would you recommend? So there is in the EMRs now, I mean, similar to how we identify personal safety or when, for instance, so case management or social work coming in to assess a patient when they come in for admission, I'm going to often pull outpatient information. I'm going to pull their last encounter, um, but I'm not going to make assumptions. So I'm going to go in and when I assess with the patient, I'm going to review prior information. I'm going to update it and I'm going to refresh it back in the documentation and in there, it'll show the historical, especially if you have it at the patient level. Um, it's similar, I would say, to what we see um, with problem diagnoses. For instance, a patient that has a history of COPD, um, when they come back in, is that still something we're listening? Is it being impacted by their hospitalization? What role does that play? Those are all the same questions that and a physician would ask. Um, me as a social worker would do the same thing related to their social determinants. Thanks, Tiffany. That was great. Okay, Chuck, back to you. Thanks, Erica. And that is going to be a wrap for our 541st Live Edition of Talking to Tuesday. And I want to thank our panelists today, Laurie Johnson, Tiffany Ferguson, Tim Powell, Susie Bestovich, who reported early story, and to my co-host, Dr. Erica Reamer, who was celebrating her sixth anniversary on this broadcast as my co-host. And one more thing before we go, I want to thank the good folks at MedLearn Media who sponsored today's Talk 10 Tuesday broadcast and who invite you to subscribe to the comprehensive Cardiology All Access Pass. Until next Tuesday, I'm Chuck Buck reporting for Talk 10 Tuesday and ICD-10 Monitor. Thank you, everybody, and happy Valentine's Day. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.